I don't know how many of y'all felt this way, but I kind of felt when Larry was preaching, we should have just let him keep on going. I, I was extremely blessed with that opening message this morning. I love that picture especially of open hands, totally open. God, whatever you want from me. I keenly feel that this week maybe I've been holding up perfection in front of y'all. And I believe that if we focus on that too much, at times we get discouraged because we see where we're not, we're not quite matching up to that. But I want to just, I want to just continue to, to hold that perfection in front of us. Let's not get discouraged if we're not there in this life. Let's keep moving that direction. I don't know if y'all notice the color of my hair. I guess I'm a little blonde at times. Um, when Larry told me you're going to have communion today, I guess it just didn't, I mean, I knew it was going to be communion, but I didn't know I was going to have the communion message. I figured maybe the other brother would. So um, if the message today is not a communion message, then too bad for you, but I believe it is. I feel I've, I feel a little sorry for the children having to sit there the whole time. So I'm going to ask y'all to come up front. I'm not sure where to do it, but probably kind of right in here. We're going to have a little bit of a children's class up to maybe 10 or 12 years old, whoever wants to. You can come up here, right up here in the front. We're just going to kind of sit down, maybe Indian style here, and we're going to have a little story here. Everybody who wants to up to maybe 10 or 12 years old, just turn around right here and just face me. We'll just sit in a circle here. How many of y'all... Yeah, just you can just sit down there wherever you're at. It doesn't matter. Your parents can't see you once you sit down, so there you go. How many of y'all have ever been to Louisiana? Louisiana's a state. Have you ever ever anybody ever been to Louisiana? None of you. Well, I've been there a bunch of times. And one of the things that I do know, if I was in Louisiana, I would not go swimming in their rivers and their creeks and their rivers. A while ago, okay, it's been a couple years ago, there's a little boy who decided to go swimming one afternoon in a river that ran behind his house. Now you can come over here and sit down. He decided to go swimming in this river behind his house. And, you know, if you live, if you live all the time in, in that area, it doesn't seem that dangerous to you. Now, I, no, I wouldn't go swimming, but if I lived in Louisiana, maybe I'd get so used to their rivers and it looks so harmless, I'd go swimming in the creeks too. His dad was out mowing the yard and he was watching his son swimming out through there and his boy, his boy was a really good swimmer. And this boy was eight or nine years old. I forget how old he was. And as the dad was mowing, his, was mowing the yard, he was watching his boy and all of a sudden he saw something that made the hair on the back of his neck stand up and he just like froze. There was this long snout in the water and there was these two little eyes poking out. Can you guess what it was? It was an Alligator. There was almost the same thing, but it was an alligator. Alligators don't. Well, this one wasn't five meters long. Alligators in Louisiana, a lot of them get about, I don't know, eight or nine feet is about as big as you're going to see. So they don't get nearly that big. But it doesn't take one five meters long to kill you. So this daddy, this daddy turns his lawnmower off and he starts yelling to his son while he's running towards the creek. And he says, he says, um, come, come back, come back, come back. And the boy didn't know what his dad was trying to tell him or why, but he obeyed anyhow and he turned around and he came back. He started swimming back. And there was a dock right there and the boy was swimming back toward back towards the dock. And so the dad goes out to the dock and just as the boy gets there, the, uh, the dad grabbed a hold of his hand, but the alligator, you know, you can't, 
you can't swim faster than an alligator can. They have that big, wide tail, and they swim that thing back and forth and just shoots them through the water. And the alligator grabbed a hold of the boy's leg, pretty, pretty much right up here at his knee, grabbed a hold of the boy's leg, and the dad grabbed a hold of the boy's hand or his arm at the same time. Now, who do you think was stronger, the dad or the alligator? Alligator, without a doubt. And so as the dad is holding on to the boy's hand, and, and the alligator starts pulling the boy away, and his dad, the dad's fingernails were just making trenches in the boy's arm, just ripping his skin as he goes. Now, do you think it would have been kind for that dad to just let go? I mean, he was hurting his boy's arm. Should he have let go? He was hurting him, wasn't he? No, it was because he loved him that he held on. Thankfully, there was this farmer passing by the road, and he, he noticed this commotion down there. And he grabbed his gun out of his truck, and he went down, and he shot the, he shot the alligator. And they pulled the boy out, and they took him to the hospital, and the doctor got him all sewed up. A few weeks later, there was a news reporter heard about this, and he came, and he wanted to write a news article about this. And so the boy showed him his leg where the alligator's teeth had bit his leg, and they were almost healed. And the reporter was just, he was just amazed by that. And he was fixing to leave. And the boy asked, well, don't you want to see my other scars? And the man was like, he didn't know any, he had any other scars. And he pulls up his shirt and he shows him these furrows where his dad's hands had tore down through his skin. And he, this is what the little boy said. These scars are better. This is why my daddy held on and wouldn't let me go because he loved me. So think about, your, your parents don't have to hang on to you that hard physically. But if, if they do something, if, they're, if they tell you not to do something, or they tell you to do something, you know why they do it. Are they trying to be mean to you? Or are they trying to make you unhappy? They're not. You think it's because they love you that they tell you what to do and what not to do? Yeah, that's why. It's because they love you. Remember that. Even when you don't like what your parents tell you to do, they tell you that because they love you. Okay, you can go back and sit down again. Go to my mama now. title to the message this morning is, What Does Mercy Cost? What Does Mercy Cost? Definition of mercy is compassion or forbearance shown to offender or someone who doesn't deserve it. Now this little boy, um, this little boy, um, I don't know if we would say that he didn't deserve mercy, um, but he, his his, his dad wouldn't have had to do it. Let's say it that way. Mercy is free to the recipient, but it always costs a lot to the person that gives it. And as I was studying this mercy, I just the subject of mercy, I just became aware more and more how much almost every time that someone gives what we would call mercy to another person, how it costs them a lot. The person that receives it rarely has to pay a lot for it. Almost never can. But it, the person that receives the mercy, or the person that gives the mercy, it costs a lot. Mercy, I believe, is an attribute of God. It is part of God. It's part of God that He can never, he can never be unmerciful. God cannot be unmerciful. God is just. God is pure. But God is always Merciful. Now, God does not always, God does not always 
show this compassion and this forbearance to an offender, someone who doesn't deserve it. God doesn't always show that. But God is merciful. And one of the reasons that I say that is because God rarely on the first offense strikes someone down dead. And so we have these opportunities again and again. And so at some point we meet up with God's judgment, but God is mercy. If you want to try, if you want to understand the depth of mercy, just start at the beginning. Start at Genesis. Start with the fall of man and go all the way through the children of Israel and, and all the times when God just over and, over and and just keep on going through the history of man and you're going to find out how much mercy God actually has. Mercy is so much a part of God that in Exodus chapter 25, when God told the children of Israel how to build the Ark of the Covenant, He told them to put a mercy seat there, and they had the two cherubims, one on each side. A mercy seat. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was a physical, it was an actual something that people could see, that it was a symbol of God's presence. It was a symbol that God was there. And a seat is for someone to sit on, right? And so God, while He physically maybe didn't come down and sit on that seat, this, was, this, was, this mercy seat was put on the altar showing that we have God. It was pure gold. It was beautiful. And the people weren't even allowed to look at it after it was put in there in the whole, most holy place. They weren't even allowed to look at it. But we had these two angels the covering, the, uh, that were covering this mercy seat, the place where God sat. He could have called it the justice seat. He could have called it the holy seat. He could have called it anything else, any of the other attributes of God, but He called it the mercy seat. That's where God sits to rule, is in mercy. Adam and Eve, God loved them, and He extended mercy to them. You can't tell me that He didn't. Because they knew very well what they should and shouldn't do. And they intentionally did the other. Noah, after he saw all that God did, and he spent that time in the ark, and, and he know, he saw everything, he got intoxicated on his wine, and he got drunk, and because of that, he cursed one of his sons, and it, it began a um, it began enmity between nations. And, and God had to deal with that all the way down through time because of Noah and his mistakes. A man that sh- should have never... I mean, he had experienced the ultimate of God's mercy. I mean, to the fullness. Everybody else died except him and his family. Like, wow. And then here, he went and messed it up. God still extended mercy to him. Children of Israel in the desert. So many times, Moses was so fed up with these people, and God wouldn't do it to destroy him. And then later, when God was totally fed up with him, and he wanted to destroy him, Moses told God, no, you can't do that. Remember, you, you, know, you brought these people out of the land of Egypt. You know what they're going to say about you. They're going to say that after you did all these good things to them, and then you just brought them out here to kill them. You, know, you didn't have the power to save them. And at what cost did God continue extending His mercy? You talk about years of, if God would have been a human, I would say years of aggravation. Years of just shaking your head and like, when are these people going to learn? But still His mercy kept on going. At what cost? Turn with me to Second Chronicles 33. And we're going to get into the life of Jesus here before long. But in 2 Chronicles 33, we have an account of a man that 
experienced a lot of God's mercy. And if you read this account in the book of Kings, you're not going to find out, you're not going to read about this, how God had mercy on him. But here in Chronicles, we have it. Second Chronicles 33, we have the king Manasseh. And he was, he was a heathen Israelite. He made, he built altars for, um, he built altars in the house of the Lord so that people could worship idols there. He made his children pass through fire and, and he, um, he used enchantments and witchcraft. And it, said in, it says in verse 6, he wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he made this carved image and idol and he put it up in the temple of God where the mercy seat was. And he puts up this idol in there. How much mercy was on that mercy seat that that idol and the king that stayed up there didn't just weren't annihilated right there. And so God, God made him, he's, he put him in captivity in Assyria. And in verse 12, we're going to begin reading, when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him and he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. And then it says all the things that he did. He took away those strange gods. He took away the idol. He built the, uh, he, he tore down the altars that he had built there and cast them out. He repaired the altar of the Lord and he sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings. And he commanded his nation to serve the Lord God of Israel. That's a totally different king than the one that got taken, that got taken to captivity, right? And it was because even though he was the last person on earth that deserved mercy, God by taking him captive, by allowing him to be taken captive, that was an act of mercy. Just like it hurt, and just like I'm sure that was extremely humiliating, it was because God loved him. Same as that dad hanging onto that boy's arm. He wasn't going to let go just because he was hurting his boy, because he wanted what was best for that young man. The book of Psalms uses the word mercy 98 times. And all those times he's talking about God. There's a, he uses a few more times than 98, but 98 times of it, he's talking about God. Psalms 135 or one, 136. Every verse except maybe one of them ends this way, for His mercy endureth forever. And he says all the things that he did, it says he, he talks about creation and then he talks about Israel. It says, to him who smote Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endureth forever. Was it mercy that killed the firstborn of all the Egyptians? It wasn't mercy for the Egyptians. It was mercy for the people of God. It says he, he led the people through the wilderness. That was one of their greatest gripes against God. And it says it was because his mercy endured forever that he did that. They, they didn't understand it, but that's, what it, that's really what it was. That verse, that chapter, or that psalm, Psalm 136 ends like this. Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven, for His mercy endureth forever. Are you thankful this morning for that? Let's look at the life of Jesus a little bit. His whole life really consisted of a mission of mercy, a life of mercy. That first, um, the first miracle that He did was turning the water into wine, right? 
even that was an act of mercy. If you look at the, they still, a lot of the, a lot of the, the wedding traditions are still the same over in Israel like they were. Um, but they have this feast. And can you imagine what kind of, what kind of insult or letdown or humiliation it would be for the family to run out of wine in the middle of that feast? Kind of like if we had a wedding, we ran out of sweet tea. I don't know if y'all always have sweet tea at your weddings, but I imagine you probably do. And you know, you know how humiliating it would be to the, to the family of the bride that's providing all this stuff, and they just got sweet tea for half the people, or they run out of coffee or whatever it is. It's, the, it's kind of a stigma that goes with that. And, and while nobody else would remember, probably I'm sure that that family always wouldn't. They always feel kind of stupid about that. And so even by turning this water into wine, it was an act of mercy. It was really, he wouldn't have had to do that. I don't know if Jesus even knew the people. And Mary's the one that brought the problem to Jesus and kind of left it in his hands. But it was an act of mercy in, in, in what he did there. The Canaanite woman came to Jesus, and I talked a little bit about that the other evening. She came to Jesus, and, and he, he kind of kept on and on kind of pushing her back. But finally, he couldn't help it. He just... He gave her what her heart desired. Did he owe it to her? Had she ever done anything for him? I don't know that she had. An act of mercy. Centurion's servant, the Roman centurion, a Roman of all hated people. It was just his servant anyway. It wasn't even one of his family members. An act of mercy again. Jairus' daughter, he brought her back to life. All these blind people and sick people that were around, he healed them. And he, he healed these blind people in different ways. Some of them he just, he just healed, and others of them, he, the one time he spit in the ground, he made mud and he put it on the man's eyes, told him to go wash it off in the pool. It was an act of mercy. What about the criminal on the cross beside him? One of them is, is continuing the insults that everybody else was giving, cursing him. Challenging him to just come down off the cross, something he could have done. But the other criminal on the cross, we could say the 11th hour and maybe the 11th hour and 45 minutes, and he redeemed him on the cross. An act of mercy again. That criminal was there. He said, look, I'm here because I deserve it. Justly. I'm here for what they say I'm here for. But he asked Jesus to remember when he comes in his kingdom. An act of mercy. I think the ultimate cost of mercy, we can read in the four Gospels, but we're going to read in the account of Luke. That Luke wrote, Luke chapter 22. Remember the title, What Does Mercy Cost? We have a song that we sing sometimes. An old hymn, I love it. It says, By faith I view my Savior dying on the tree, on the tree. To every sinner He is crying, Look at me, look at me. He bids the guilty now draw nigh. Repent, believe, dismiss their fear. Hark, hark, what precious words I hear. Mercy's free, mercy's free. And to us it is. But this morning I would like for you, I'd like for us to remember that mercy comes at a cost. That song goes on to say, Jesus, the Lord of life, has spoken peace to me. I'm not going to read all the the repetitious phrases there. Now all my chains of sin are broken. I am free. Soon as I on His name believed, His pardoning grace my soul received and, and was from sin and death retrieved. 
Mercy's free. This precious truth, ye sinners here, mercy's free. Ye ministers of God, declare it. Mercy's free. Visit the heathen's dark abode. Proclaim to all the love of God and spread the glorious news abroad. Mercy's free. Long as I live, I'll still be crying. Mercy's free. And thus shall be my theme when dying. Mercy's free. And when the veil of death I've passed, when lodged above the stormy blast, I'll sing while endless ages last. Mercy's free. Mercy's free. And I trust that that in eternity we'll sing that song from the aspect that there was nothing I could do to buy that. The only thing I could have was something that was free. But I'm also convinced that in eternity, we're going to be keenly aware of what that cost, what that mercy cost. Um, there's a song that we used to sing in school, and I, I didn't look it up. It starts out, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there in the garden? Were you there? Did you see the agony? Were you there? And that is that song is is showing the amount that Christ paid. Luke chapter twenty two. Jesus, it, it cost Jesus a lot in his life, a lot of tiredness. Some of those some of those scriptures, it sounds like Jesus was just exhausted. And he would try to get away from the people and go off to sleep, and the people would find him. And and he would just, his heart was filled with compassion. He just kept on ministering to those people, even though he was, that was the last thing he felt like doing at the time. But Luke chapter 22, we have where Jesus is in the garden here. Remember, we're talking about the cost. Start reading verse 39. He came out and went, as he was wont, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said to them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow and said to them, why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. In Matthew, it says that he came back two times to them, and they were sleeping both times. You see the agony that he was there? Have you ever prayed as intensely as Jesus did? Have you ever wanted something as badly as Jesus did at this time? I don't know that I have. I'll be real honest. There's times when when we're in when we're in agony and we just we just cry out to God and we we have this feeling of like I have nothing to offer like I don't even know what to do when I get up from here and we just plead and we cry to God and it's good for us to have to do that if you haven't had to I hope God brings you to times like that in your life it's extremely enriching but I have never I have never prayed and cried out to God and been in such such agony that it says his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. I don't know, was he literally sweating blood or was it just tremendous amount of sweat just like he was bleeding? I don't know what that was. But I've never prayed that intensely. But I've also never had to give mercy in the amounts that Jesus did. I've never had to pay that much. Very next part of this chapter, verse 47. 
While he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? When they which were about him saw what would follow, they said to him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye this far. Remember, he had just got through with this agony. And here we have a man that's missing an ear. And what a small price to pay, right? But Jesus reached down. It doesn't say here He reached down. And Matthew does. He picked up that ear and He healed him. A man that was coming to capture Him. A man that was going to help bind Him. A man that was going to help bring Him to the cross where He was going to die. You know how much that paid Him? Or how much that cost Him to do that? Then Jesus said to the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come out, coming to Him, Come ye out as against a thief with, with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth your hands against Me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. And after that, Jesus said very, very little. That was kind of His closing comment. He talked a little bit to Pilate. Um, refused to talk to Herod. On the cross, He didn't try to... The people were down there mocking Him and... And, and taunting him even when he was on the cross. But he didn't say anything. Those were kind of his closing comments to his ministry. That mercy that is so free for us today cost that much for God, for Jesus. And then if that wasn't enough, in 54, verse 54, they took him and they got him, brought him to the high priest. Peter followed there and he was. Verse 55, they kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, and there sat, and were set down together. Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire, and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. After a, while, after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he was a Galilean. And Peter said, Men, I know not what thou sayest. Matthew says he started cursing and swearing, and it sounds like he just lost it. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. I think at that instant, Peter got a picture of how much his Savior, his Master, his Rabbi was paying by not giving him what he deserved at that minute. How much was Jesus paying? And even though Peter did not understand a bit of what was going on, he was as confused. And I think honestly, he probably, where he was saying, I know not the man. In a way, there was a bit of honesty there because he thought he knew Jesus. He thought he knew how this was going to work out. And suddenly Jesus is just doing everything opposite from what he, th- what he thought Jesus was going to do. And so sometimes we feel like that. Maybe like somebody that we thought we knew, and now they do something that we're just like, I don't even know that person. And maybe that's how Peter felt. This man that's, so, that's just sitting there and letting them go on with his trial. I don't know that man. He's not my king. He's not who I thought he was. I don't know. Still on the cross, 
This is the, these are the words of Jesus. Talking about Judas Iscariot. Talking about Peter. Talking about the Roman soldiers and those that were there. And I think ultimately also talking about me. Because it was for me that He was on that cross as well. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that prayer still reaches down to me and you today. Jesus offers that mercy. He says it's free. All you've got to do is give me your life. Come to me. Give me your whole life. How was that? Wide open. I should have written that down. Wide open hands. God, whatever you want. That's all you've got to do. And still, for so many years of our lives, as a young person anyhow, there was that wanting to be under the protection of God, wanting to be in God's kingdom, but still wanting to do whatever I wanted to. Kind of like you're trying to go two separate ways, and so you just kind of hit the middle of the road. And you're really not in one kingdom or the other, except you are in one kingdom. You're not in both. And he looks at that, and he says, Father, forgive him. He doesn't even understand what he's doing. And when we're like that man that grabbed his servant after he was forgiven so much and says, pay me what you owe me, Jesus says, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't even begin to understand what my mercy costs. I believe this is also mercy has always been a mark of God's people down through time. David in 1 Samuel 24, Saul came into that cave and he was hiding there. And, and David goes and cuts off a little bit of the bottom of his robe. And after Saul goes out and does, goes away, and then David comes out and he says, look what I did. He says, what are you looking for in the desert? And then, the, then David's next comments were not a question. They were a statement. He says, you're looking for a flea for a dog. He said, that, that's what he called himself. You're looking for a flea for a dog. I don't even count. Why are you chasing me? And still, even though he didn't count, he said, this is, look what I've got. I could have killed you. I was right there. And he says, the young men even wanted me to. And later, he goes down into the camp where they were sleeping, and he takes his sword and his bottle, of, or his, his um, canteen or whatever, or his spear in his canteen, and he took it up on top of the mountain. And when they woke up, he says, look what I got. You know how much that mercy cost David? It meant more years of hiding. It meant a lot of more years of living among the Philistines. It meant that him and his wives couldn't even go back home. They were living in um, one of the Philistine towns. I can't remember the name of it. But they, had, they couldn't even go home. They couldn't even fight beside the Israelites. They couldn't even go to the temple to worship. Or the, the um, not, I guess the temple wasn't built then. Tabernacle. They couldn't even go there to worship. Where the ark of God was, in the presence of God where David wanted to be, he couldn't even go there. That's what his mercy cost him. Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. It says, He came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, He said to them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. And then He gave them directions. He gave them a study assignment. He said, But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinner to repentance. Now, just a few chapters later, did they go learn that? 
Did they go study what mercy was and why God wanted mercy instead of sacrifice? Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went to the Sabbath day. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn. And his disciples were hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. But he said to them, Have ye not read what David did when he was unhungered, and they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests? Or have ye not read in the law how then on the Sabbath day the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple, and then he says, but if you had known, if you would have went and looked what this means, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. So your assignment this morning is, go check out what it means when Jesus said, and this is, this is an Old Testament, this is an Old Testament quotation. Both times Jesus quoted this from the Old Testament. Why did... What does it mean, I would rather have mercy than sacrifice? What does that mean? And then, when you discover the meaning of that, continue looking how much that mercy cost God, how much it cost Jesus down through the time. Through time. Matthew 23, He told the scribes and Pharisees, He said, Woe unto you, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint, and Annas and Cumin, and have committed the weightier, have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done, and not to leave the other undone. He said, "You are trying to pay your way into the kingdom of God. You are giving all these good things, but he said you omitted the weightier, the heavier, the bigger, the more important matters of the law. They were judgment, mercy, and faith." He wasn't criticizing their tithing. He wasn't, he wasn't saying they shouldn't. He said that you shouldn't leave those things undone. But he said these things you should have done and not left the other undone. 1 Corinthians 13. He told them uh, towards the end of the chapter, you can do all these good things you can give everything you have to the poor. You can give your body to be burned. You can do all these good things, but if you do it without love, it's not going to count for anything. Through life, we can be like these scribes and Pharisees. And he called them hypocrites. And maybe we find ourselves there sometimes. We do all these things. We do the right things but we do it without love. We do it because we know people expect us to and not because there is mercy in our lives, not because the mercy of Jesus is actually making an impact on our lives. Still in Luke chapter 20, Luke chapter 23, I want to look at one more thing in, in the crucifixion account. Jesus had gone through all this torment and all this, this abuse and all this. Some of it was physical. Some of it was, was verbal abuse. But can you imagine the, 
the joy and the sorrow all mixed in one emotion when Jesus made this statement. Luke chapter 23, verse 44, it says, About the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, He said, Father, into Thy hands I commend My Spirit. And having said thus, He gave up the ghost. There was pain there. There was agony. There was death that was happening. But I'm convinced there was also joy. His mission of mercy, His life of mercy here on this earth, was at the completion stage. No more was He going to have to suffer. No more was He going to have to live years of life knowing that He has this thing coming up. So I believe it was partly with joy that He said, Father, into My hands I commend My Spirit. He knew His Father. He knew who His Father was. He knew the mercy of His Father. And so, freely ye have received, freely give. Freely we have received at great cost of another. Freely give, even though it's a great cost to me. And so at the end of life, when whether it's, we may not even have time to say these words, but maybe we're going to die of old age. Maybe we're going to die from some sort of sickness or something. But at the end, and when we, can, when we do like Jesus, and we know we're on death's doorstep, we say, Father, into my hands I commend my spirit. I have lived as you lived. And I know I don't deserve it. And I know it cost you so much. But I commend my hands into your spirit knowing that into, in your hands, I'm in the best hands there are. And in your hands, there is mercy. You know, there's only, I mentioned about two kingdoms. There's only two kingdoms that we can end up at. There's only two kingdoms that we can be a part of here on this earth. And it's only one or the other. It's not both of them. And I'm here, to, I'm here to tell you that in the other hands that you can commend yourselves in, or the other hands you can end up in, there is no mercy. There is no mercy here on this earth. The devil and all his, all his bondage and all his glamour and the things that look good and the things that we find ourselves chasing after because we think they'll make us happy. But there's no mercy in those things on earth. There's bondage. You can't get out of that by yourself. And for sure, when you come to the place where Jesus was here, you can't with joy commend your hands or your, your spirit into those hands. You just won't do it. What has mercy cost you? And how much are you willing to pay to extend mercy to the next, to the next person? As you take part in communion this morning and you drink that, you eat that bread, you drink that cup, think about how much that cost for Jesus to be able to do that for you. And then, following that, you're going to wash each other's feet. How much are you willing to pay for in, through love, with love, even though the brother or the sister that you washed their feet might not deserve it, even though they might have been unkind to you sometimes, even though you might have had a spat with them, how much are you willing to pay to extend mercy to that person and in love serve them by washing their feet? Let's kneel for prayer.